Oh, no. Are the Miami Hurricanes really college football's greatest fraud? You are Locked on Canes, your daily podcast on the Miami Hurricanes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Alex Dono, your host. I'm a University of Miami alumnus, post-game host on the Miami Hurricanes radio network and contributor to allhurricanes.com. And thank you so much for making Locked On Canes your first listen today. Even during the bye week, we're here for you. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So uh, one of the most vocal Miami haters in the national media, Paul Feinbaum, Mr. SEC, he's going after Miami again. And he's got ammunition. You go out there, you get outplayed, and you lose at home to Middle Tennessee, you give Paul Feinbaum ammunition. He was asked what's gone wrong for the Hurricanes so far. He said, how about everything? (laughs) New coach, but Miami is still college football's biggest fraud, he says. How many times have we been to this precipice? Turnover chain. Miami is back. They've been back almost as many times as Texas has been back. Which, wouldn't that kind of tell you that maybe Texas are are the biggest frauds or in that conversation as well? But I digress. He says, but they still don't look like, well, I think you know the word I'm looking for that rhymes with back. I mean, it's a disaster down there, he said. We read too much. We read too much into A&M struggling against Miami and pulling out a win last week. This is the real Miami, he said. Now, he did say something that's more of like a, uh, I guess, kind of a backhanded compliment. Because Feinbaum, I think Feinbaum likes Cristobal a lot. I think he probably respects Cristobal because Cristobal worked under Saban for so long, and Feinbaum will never say anything bad about anyone from the Saban tree. But he said, I'll say this about Mario Cristobal. He's a very good coach. Tyler Van Dyke was clearly not the right quarterback for this moment. That's immediate reaction in the Middle Tennessee game, of course. He says, I think he'll get it turned around, but let's stop talking about Miami being back until they actually show up for a game. I'm going to bring in good friend of the program. This guy does an awesome job at allhurricanes.com. Luke Cheney is with us. Luke, are the Miami Hurricanes the biggest frauds in college football? I I think it's unfair to label, you know, a team with a first-year head coach as a complete fraud. Uh, I mean, and the same could be said for Notre Dame, for example. Uh, I mean, because they've – had their fair share of struggles this season. But if, if if you were to label, I guess, a team as a fraud, even though I don't really think Miami necessarily is, or Notre Dame is because they do have a, fir- a first-year coach right. um, as well, I guess those would kind of be the two teams in contention for that. But, I mean, listen, what Feinbaum was saying, you know, we all know his thoughts about Miami. We all know that he tends to be very negative about the Canes. Um, he's not completely wrong in everything that he's saying. I just, I almost cringe and I really don't like whenever the connotation by, you know, national media or just in general is, oh, you know, Miami just did this. They're not back. Like, I feel like people pretend that 
the local fan base and the local whatever uh, and, and the noise surrounding Miami, they, they're the ones that label Hurricanes as back. Yes. Not – I mean, if, I mean if, if you were to ask Miami fans, if you were, if you were to ask whatever, the only time in the past, say, 10, 15 years that Miami has really – and Miami fans have really considered themselves like, wait, are we back? Is when they beat Notre Dame and they were second in the country. That's the only fair time where you can say, hey, look, Miami wasn't back. Because that's when everyone bought in. Even Feinbaum himself. You remember with, uh, when Feinbaum even put on the turnover chain? That was close to Notre Dame. So he bought into it as well. Ever since then, whenever Miami makes an appearance in the, the top 10 or the top 15, um, you know, I mean, the, the fan base, you know, they, they've been here. They, they've been there before. You know, they, they've been there before. and They've experienced disappointment before. It's more so the talking heads and whatever that say, oh, Miami's back. And then when the Hurricanes – inevitably disappoints as you know they have for so long it's oh look you know they're not back actually when in actuality it was themselves who labeled them as such um so i guess that's my full reaction to what Feinbaum is saying yeah people like Feinbaum he's like a vulture like he just kind of circles and waits and then as soon as Miami slips up he's just right there on the carcass okay but again like now i feel like with Feinbaum he he will attack Miami no matter what. Like the Hurricanes could be four and zero right now, and he would. And and if they were four and zero, they'd probably be a top ten team right now. Uh, so if they if they could be four and zero right now, Feinbaum would still be saying, "Well, they they beat a bad A and M team, they beat a bunch of other bad teams." Miami, like he, he would call Miami frauds no matter what. But again, though, honestly, you know, it, it's one thing to judge the person who says it, but um, he's not wrong. Um, you know, you can you can say you can make a fair argument based on his logic that the Miami Hurricanes are frauds right now. But to like what Luke was was referring to, it's really the fault of Miami's own fans and Miami's media. And, you know, I fall into both of those categories. I think Luke falls into both of those categories as well. It's partially my fault, right, that Miami are frauds right now. You know, the University of Miami, I give them credit, they've revamped the entire administration to invest time and resources and money in the football program. That goes from the president's office down to all the coaches that they've hired. They've hired the best-looking coaching staff on paper that they've ever had. Like, I'm not saying Mario Cristobal is necessarily the best head coach they've ever had, but the entire coaching staff is the best on paper that Miami's ever had. The entire program got a facelift, right, including a head coach who – at Miami, won two championships as a player, won another as an assistant coach here. So the only thing we can't completely change in one offseason are the actual players on the field. You can change some of them. You can't change all of them one offseason. And a lot of these are you know, the same guys who went 7-5 and five last year, some of the same players who lost to FIU three years ago. Um, you know, Mario Cristobal, he never guaranteed anything in the first season. He didn't guarantee a 4-0 start. He didn't guarantee that Tyler Van Dyke would play like a Heisman candidate or a first round draft pick. That was all of us that were talking about that, right? That never came from Mario's mouth. It's, it's us who did that. Okay. So yeah, if you want to call Miami a fraud, it's fair because I guess my take is Luke that, you know, a loss like the one Miami just suffered to middle Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I didn't think the hurricanes were going to be national champs, Cristobal's first year, anything like that, but I didn't think you would, ever lose a game like that again so i i don't really have a whole lot to counter fine bombs argument right now that miami are frauds mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's not 
exactly how do you counter against that? Miami just lost by two touchdowns to a pretty bad Middle Tennessee State team. Lost forty-four to seven against James Mad- against James Madison. Imagine if we played James Madison, we'd we'd probably lose uh, forty-nine to to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's you know you really you really have nothing to. Def- I mean, Miami has nothing to defend themselves against. What Fineball was saying because they are two and two. This is a disappointing start. It is you know you can sit here and say hey you know first season under Mario no expectations whatever. But still, two and two with losses against. I mean, the A and M loss is completely fine, but a two touchdown loss to Middle Tennessee State, and in that loss, it exposed the problems that you have on both sides of the ball. Um, I mean, I think there are more problems offensively, but you don't allow forty-one offensive points to Middle Tennessee State and say, "Oh, there's no problems on defense," because there is, there is. I think, and I don't mean to, you know, stray off topic here. I think that defensively, the issues lie more so talent-wise and personnel-wise. Whereas offensively, I feel like the deficiencies, yes, Mario and the the offensive coach staff doesn't have their guys yet, but I feel like there's a lot more schematic problems on that side. So this bye week couldn't have come at really a better time. I think the only thing, Luke, that I bring up schematically on the defense, and hopefully they learn something because, you know, the just the type of offense you went up against in Middle Tennessee is somewhat similar to the type of offense you're about to go up against. Now, I've referred to North Carolina's offense as MTSU's on steroids. Better players, better quarterback, better receivers. Everything's just better that you're going to go up against uh, with North Carolina. And um, well, well, I agree with you, defense, like you're talking about personnel, because, you know, a lot of these guys who couldn't tackle at all last year just haven't been tackling consistently enough this year. Um, but then I also look at how Kevin Steele approached Middle Tennessee's offense last week. And I wonder if when you're going up against an air raid, did you just put your players in a position to fail with so much man coverage and, you know, not dropping enough guys into coverage. I really think, Luke, that they underestimated uh, the arm of Chase Cunningham. I think a lot of us did, right? Because I, I think sort of the scouting report on the MTSU quarterback was, you know, he can get rid of it quickly, but he doesn't have a strong arm, can't throw it deep. Uh, he proved us wrong in a huge way. So I do think schematically they can do a much better job, I hope, against North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely will agree with you there. Um just because I think it is mostly talent, there are definitely some schematic things where I would like to see adjustments in. Um, I mean, and shout out to Chase Cunningham because, like, holy cow. I mean, he was slinging it against Miami. You know, I mean, obviously the defense wasn't the best, but he was – I mean, on some of those deep passes, they were very, very accurate. Um, but anyways, with Miami's defense, right, obviously talking about the cornerbacks, talent-wise, it's not there. It's not there at all where it needs to be. But at the same time, the scheme that Kevin Steele is implementing really does, doesn't give that group any favors just because this scheme, it asks the corners to play press coverage, man up a lot, really guard these receivers on islands. And frankly, Miami just doesn't have the bodies for that. They don't have the talent, the depth. They just can't do that. And while that wasn't as much of a problem against Texas A&M, I thought the cornerbacks played very well against the Aggies. 
against Middle Tennessee State, a team that airs that a lot, a team that really spaces out your defense. Ten, um, Middle Tennessee ran a bunch of four wide receiver, five wide receiver sets, an air raid offense of sorts, and they they killed them. Chase Cunningham mm-hmm. and their offense killed Miami. They killed DJ Ivy. They burned Jaden Harris. Miami had no answers to that. And adjustment-wise, I really didn't see anything. So, you know, Kevin Steele is is going to play that aggressive 4-2-5, 4-3 attacking style of defense. And I'm not necessarily asking for him to abandon that because he's been doing this for a long time. This is his coaching philosophy. He's not just going to change it all together. But at the same time, I think you can mix in, as you were saying, um, drop back in coverage a little bit, mix in a little bit more zone. Um, just change things a little bit more that caters to the current personnel that Miami has. And then eventually when Miami does have the appropriate personnel to where you can man up comfortably all game, leave your cornerbacks on islands, then you can really get into the ideal defense that you want to run. I'm going to ask Luke Cheney on the other side uh, who he would start at quarterback against North Carolina, because honestly, uh, I don't I don't know anyone who's put more research into Tyler Van Dyke in this offense versus Jake Garcia in this offense and also like what the offense needs to adapt in order to fit TVD better. So I cannot wait to get into this. Same way, I, I can never get in, never wait to get into the numbers at betonline.net. It is your number one source for football betting this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find, my friends. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. And, of course, Miami is off this weekend. I look at the ACC schedule this week. I see some games that I think are going to be really close where the home teams are favored by a ton. Like this is very interesting guys where Florida state are favored by a full touchdown at home against wake forest. Uh, That's interesting to me. North Carolina, nine point favorites at home against Virginia tech, even the Clemson number at home against NC state, six and a half point favorites. I I think there's a lot of stuff we can dive into here at bet online. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, where the game starts. Thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. Luke Cheney from allhurricanes.com is with us. So, Luke, October 8th, UNC, mm-hmm. who should they start at quarterback? Tyler Van Dyke, Jake Garcia. Okay, so that is... I think it's a two-fold question, right? So if loaded question. Oh yeah, and I I I, I know you mentioned some of these stats um, yesterday on Locked On, but uh, I I might just mention a few again, just to kind of reinforce the argument. Um, so Josh Gaddis has run an offense that let's just say hasn't really played to Tyler Van Dyke's strengths thus far this season. TVD last year under Red Lashley played in a system that was very up-tempo, uh, played in, this, in, a, in a system that was a spread offense with air raid concepts. And this, this, this masked some of Van Dyke's weaknesses and it allowed him to really showcase his strengths. With Gaddis's offense, you see more of a pro-style look. You see an offense that excels with the right personnel 
but they don't really have that personnel just yet. Um, this person, the, the personnel that is required for Gaddis's offense, you need those powerful offensive linemen. You need really good blocking tight ends. You need very, very good running backs. And you need the quarterbacks to kind of play off of that. Mm-hmm. And with the personnel that Miami currently has, it's not really a great fit. So you're seeing a lot more of these condensed sets and these condensed formations. And at least through the two losses, it just really hasn't worked out. And Van Dyke has really, really struggled in these condensed sets. And it's really exposed some of his weaknesses as a quarterback. And it's 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 really exposed some of his mechanical weaknesses that oftentimes weren't talked about last year. Um, in condensed, I'm going to bring up the against the Middle Tennessee State game, right? In condensed formations, Van Dyke was terrible, like awful. He was 5-14 for 29 yards, um, one touchdown being that little swing screen to uh, Henry, Henry Parrish and two picks. In non-condensed formations against Middle Tennessee, Van Dyke wasn't great, but 10 for 16, 98 yards. That's decent. It's a lot better. It's a lot better. It's When you space out the field and allow Van Dyke to play in that spread-style system, he's going to look a lot better. Whereas with Jake Garcia, obviously a very small sample size, but in those condensed sets, he was 5 for 8 for 84 yards. And non-condensed sets, Garcia, by comparison, was – Five for eleven for eighty-four yards. So hmm. similar, right? Pretty similar. Yeah, and, so, and you know what? And, and on that note, for a second, I thought uh, I was listening to uh, to the Orange Bowl boys after that mm-hmm. game, and and I thought that uh, they made a great point that so like the Jake Garcia stat line, like he, he didn't go in and pull off this miracle comeback like we were hoping for. Like it just didn't happen. So like the like the stats didn't look that great. Ten for nineteen, but. You know, the beautiful throw he made to Keyshawn Smith was like a half yard away from being a touchdown. And the Jaleel Skinner play, that was a touchdown. Okay. Like that, that it wouldn't have been the difference in winning or losing the game, unfortunately. But I've looked at the the footage a thousand times. I have no life. And he didn't step out of bounds. Like he was in bounds by about a half an inch. So that should have been a touchdown. So I mean, if if things had gone a certain way, Garcia could have thrown two touchdowns on that day. Exactly. Exactly. And with Jake Garcia, you know, he played in a similar offense in high school that Gas is running right now, more of a power based pro style system. So to answer your question, if Josh Gaddis wants or if Miami's coaching staff, Miami's offensive coaching staff led by Josh Gaddis, of course, if they make adjustments with their philosophy and with the scheme that they're running to something that's more spread out, uh, more spread based, more air raid based in a way, kind of use some of those passing concepts that a lot of the fan base is calling for from Frank Ponce, who ran a similar offense to what Lashley ran last year uh, with App State. If if you're going to do that, then I say start Van Dyke. I really do. Because Van Dyke in that type of system is great. Also, run more of tempo. If you're going to keep up with these condensed sets and kind of stay with the offense that you're running currently, which I disagree with because even in the run game, Miami is better as these more spread out sets because they don't have the bodies to block against stacked boxes. But if you are going to do that, then the stats show and through the four game sample size of Van Dyke has shown that Garcia is probably the better option. So 
take it as you may. But if I were to make a prediction, I'd probably say Jake Garcia is a starter. See, oh, I'm I'm so glad you disagree yeah. with me on that because that's only a prediction, right? Like if it were my call. I'm a little bit caught up in the Jake Garcia excitement, which that just might totally be an emotional thing on my part because, listen, backup quarterback is like always the most popular guy in town when the starter's not doing great. But I actually – I predict that they're going to stick with Van Dyke only because I don't know if they're ready to like hit that doomsday switch yet because if you do – if you do bench Van – I mean, they benched him in the third quarter, but that's different than not starting him. Like if they decide not to start him – you're kind of turning the page on Tyler Van Dyke's Miami career. I just don't know if they're ready to do that yet. That That's the main reason why I predict Van Dyke will start. That is very true because if you start Jake Garcia, you cannot go back. It's his team. It's his team. You can't go back. You can't have that kind of quarterback limbo that they went with in 2018 where, oh, Rozier's a starter. Now Nicosi Perry's a starter. And now Rozier's a starter again. You can't have that. If Garcia is going to start, then you have to leave him as a starter and live with those bumps along the road. But if you're asking me what I would rather see, I'd rather see the necessary adjustments be made within the offense itself and have Van Dyke start because it would be very unfortunate if Van Dyke's career at Miami does go to waste of sorts because he is a very, very talented quarterback. And that's not someone who – you want to throw by the wayside. So we'll yeah, see. And, and, and even despite Van Dyke's struggles, um, if he were to, and, and I'm not saying he's gonna, right? But if he were to hit the portal, people would be surprised by the types of teams that would be interested. Like I know everyone is like, oh, well, you know, SMU, but honestly, he could do better. Like I, I could tell you based on conversations I've had with people who have coaching contacts, there would be at least one team that's currently contending for a national title that would be interested in bringing him in through the portal. So, I'd, like, you know, if, if he did go to SMU, he he would be settling for SMU because he, he could do, as far as program prestige goes, he could uh, do even better than that. Um I got a couple of very interesting tweets from you guys. I want to read and, and get uh, answers from from me and from Luke on this because um, I, I think I think there, there's some fair questions coming in on you know talent versus coaching and whether maybe the coaches have overestimated Miami's talent a little bit. Uh, so stick around because we have a lot more coming here on Locked On Canes. Keep it locked right here. Thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen and your first watch today. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. Alex Dono joined by Luke Cheney from allhurricanes.com. Uh, got a question on Twitter from Enigma. And I, I wanted to, I haven't even talked about this topic yet on the show, and I'll explain why. But I'll get to it today because it has been kind of out there in the Cane space for the last couple of days. Enigma asks, hey, if Josh Gaddis is poached for the Georgia Tech head coaching job, they have a vacancy now. They rightfully fired Jeff Collins, who wasn't getting it done. If Gaddis was poached by Georgia Tech, who do we go after for the OC spot? Now, Luke, the reason why I haven't even brought this up this week is um, I would be incredibly surprised if Georgia Tech were to hire Josh Gaddis right now. Like, I would have to check the calendar to make sure it wasn't April 1st if I saw somebody tweet that. Like, I... There are so many options, and I think that Georgia Tech really needs to do a full court press on Deion Sanders. You know, it just makes sense on so many levels, especially his Atlanta ties. 
Um, you know, I, I, not guaranteeing he takes the job. Maybe he'd be holding out for Florida State, but it doesn't look like that's coming open anytime soon at this point. Uh, but I just don't think Gaddis would be anywhere close to top of that list. But if if something like that were to happen, Luke, my prediction would be, you know, if Miami were to lose their offensive coordinator either during the seat, which probably wouldn't be during the season, it probably would be right at the end of the season. I think the Hurricanes would probably elevate Frank Ponce to offensive coordinator, and then they'd find a wide receivers coach, right? Because Gaddis is the wide receiver coach in OC. I think they would elevate Ponce and find a wide receiver coach. What do you think? Yeah, I completely – I mean, well, first off, uh, you know, Gaddis had those head coaching rumors with him in Virginia. who's was kind of tied to that job a little bit before the season. Do I see him the way Miami's offense looks right now? Do I see him being tied to another head coaching job next year? No, I don't, frankly. But let's say, you know, like you said, for the sake of the example, let's say he is, let's say Georgia Tech does hire away Josh Gaddis, right? I completely agree with you that Frank Ponce would make the most sense. Obviously, he has a long-formed um, relationship with uh, the Miami area, the South Florida area, South Florida area, and with Mario Cristobal, of course. A couple of guys on top of my wish list, which would be very, very wishful thinking. Uh, Warren Ruggiero for, um, from Wake Forest. That's a good call. He's a guy that I love. I mean, Wake Forest's offense is so much fun. It's such a fun offense. To, I, mean, it, I love it. I, I, I love like the mesh stuff that they got in there. And it's a complete philosophy change from anything that Mario Cristobal has run in the past. So I would, okay. not, I would not expect anything like that, but I can only hope. Um, what else? I like I like Jeff Grimes a lot from Baylor. He's another he's another offensive coordinator that I really hold in high regard. And we'll see. We'll see. I would expect it to be Frank Ponce, but Ponce philosophy wise would I'm not sure how Miami would pull, would I guess play this because Ponce in previous years with App State as a play caller, his offense is a little different than what Miami's running now. So if Ponce were to take over eventually as Miami's offensive coordinator, I'm really interested to see if their philosophy as a whole uh, changes to what Ponce runs or if Ponce runs kind of your more prototypical, stereotypical Mario Cristobal power offense. You know, that's well said. Uh, a tweet from Giant Ninja. And I, I appreciate what he says here because he says, man, love the show. He says, I only signed up for Twitter to support the show. Thank you. I I'm so sorry for getting you into Twitter because your life is now ruined seeing yeah. the stuff that goes over that app. But welcome. Uh, he says, um, here's my dilemma. Our defensive and offensive schemes are pretty predictable and pretty vanilla. Do you think the coaches think our players are better than they actually are? Mm-hmm. Um, now, maybe, uh, you know, I could take micro examples of that because I'll go back to what I said about the defense and for three out of four games, I thought Kevin Steele has done an excellent job, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought he he was the MVP for Miami in the Texas A&M game because his defense played so well. And they seemed to be not only executing, but schemed up perfectly. But then I thought it all went wrong uh, against a middle Tennessee. So I kind of thought maybe he like overestimated what somebody like DJ Ivy could do in one-on-one coverage on an Island. Right. So I could see some of that. Uh, but do you agree? Cause I don't know. I can see a little bit of that on the defense on the offense um, I think maybe on the offense, I think Josh Gaddis might be underestimating the talent a little bit because he seems to call plays like he's expecting his quarterback to fail, not succeed. Yeah, actually, I, I kind of agree with that point of view. I think I don't know if I would necessarily call Steele's and Gaddis' schemes vanilla, 
especially Josh Gaddis, because, you know, what he does in the run game is not vanilla at all. Yeah, true. With some of Gaddis's uh, pre-snap motion and passing concepts, yes, you can call them more vanilla. But I just think with that offense in general, it's not a great scheme fit for what Miami currently has. And with the defense, I guess you could say some of it is vanilla. Um, they they love their base their their man packages their nickel man packages um, it, it, under overestimate the talent maybe a little bit on the defensive side of the ball um, maybe kind of expecting your guys like Malik Curtis and DJ Ivy to really um, just really play well in those one v one press coverage situations when it's shown that they can't at least at a consistent. At least at a consistent level, they they have shown they can. And Willie Curtis, he's obviously just a freshman. He's going to continue to develop. But like I mentioned earlier, the defense that Miami is running, while I think long-term, I'm saying like two, three years, while I think the defense will look very good, um, just based off the scheme and based off the talent that I expect them to bring in to complement that scheme, right now you don't have that same level of talent. So – I think Kevin Steele might have to draw back a little bit of what he really wants to run for a scheme that is a little more complementary to what Miami currently has, especially in the defensive back room. I like it. Uh, make sure you guys follow Luke on Twitter. You see the Twitter handle, Luke underscore Chaney4. Check out his work at allhurricanes.com. And I'm going to put the uh, the link in the description. Make sure you check out his uh, his breakdown of uh, Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia's stats and the film breakdown he did of, of how they perform in Gaddis's offense because it's it, very educational. Uh, so, Luke, thank you so much, man. Enjoy. Uh, stay safe in this storm, by the way, and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you, man. You as well. So let's get through the storm. Yeah. Awesome. And guys, make sure you make Locked On ACC your second listen. I join Candace Cooper every Thursday. She's on every day uh, with the local experts of Locked On, taking you across the ACC in 30 minutes or less. Make Locked On ACC your second listen. Thanks for making us your first. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Another episode of Locked On Canes, part of the awesome Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.